Hello and welcome to Purpose First. In this show I'm going to be exploring my main interests at the intersection of purpose and technology. I'm really interested in finding out what happens when organisations put purpose at their core of their business and how they use technology and other models and methods to really scale up and amplify their impact in the world. It's something that I've been exploring for years as co-founder of Remote. We started Remote, Jeannie and I, in 1999, and we're a custom software development company. We've worked with companies from small startups all the way through to global corporations. And so we've seen the impact that exponential technologies, automation and software can really have on any any business, any organisation. We've really found that when purpose comes first then the kind of work that you can do is is just extraordinary uh, motivation increases uh, passion increases momentum increases when you've got a why that's bigger than simply profit and that's why this show is called purpose first because purpose comes before profit and amazingly profit seems to follow but when purpose is first then all sorts of magical things happen The core of this show is going to be about me interviewing thought leaders, business leaders, mentors, coaches to find out what methods and technologies they use to amplify their impact in the world. My first guest is me, seeing as I'm going to be spending episode after episode interviewing other people, I thought it was only fair that I got a grilling myself. So I've asked Natalie Jameson, who's a business partner of mine and also the founder and MD of the Hero Works Institute to come along and interview me. So a little bit of background about Natalie. I'll be interviewing her in a future episode. Natalie comes from a corporate background. She's worked in mergers and acquisitions for major banks. Most recently, she's worked in food innovation finance for Siemens. And at the start of this year, she left that job to work full-time on the Hero Works Institute, and that's something that I'm working with her on. And what we're doing is going into large corporations and helping them to create entrepreneurs and disruptive technologies and products within their industries. It's a series of nine-month accelerators, workshops, masterminds that really take people from the birth of an idea all the way through to design, creation and testing of a product that will disrupt their industry. I think that's a fantastic background for uh, someone who was going to interview me about scaling up and technology because that's what Natalie's all about. So in this interview, Natalie talks to me about my philosophy, my understanding of technology, where it comes from, what I'm interested in. We talk about Moore's Law, exponential technology. We talk about working in your superpower and what happens when you work really in your your unique abilities, your individual talents, and how that affects your team and how that affects the work that you do. Um, we talk a little about, bit about behavioural psychology as well um, and just really get into what I'm about, what my work is about, and really what this, this show is about. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'll pass you over to Natalie on the first ever episode of Purpose First. Welcome to Paul McGillray. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. I'm really looking forward to just getting to know more about your experience. Obviously, we've known each other for a little while and we're, um, we're dent buddies and 
um, you know, obviously you're, um, you've, you've been in this game for a long time, but um, I want to take nothing for granted and uh, really delve into why, you know, you're so great at what you do. And um, we're going to go through a series of questions today. And um, by the end of it, um, our readers are really, and readers and listeners are really going to understand why you work this great person to help them with their careers and their businesses. Um, I want to just dive straight in now and uh, get to understand a little bit more about your background. So, like, how did how did you get into this um, technological game? Cool. So, thanks for having me here, Natalie. Really looking forward to doing this. Um, so, my grand gave me a ZX Spectrum computer for Christmas when I was about ten. And I loved it. I got really into like the programming of it because, you know, remember the tapes and it would take like six minutes to load something yes. and crash at the end. And I don't know, somehow I just loved that whole thing. And I used to get this magazine called Input Magazine and it would have little pieces of code that taught you basic each week. And so I would copy from the magazine this code in to make it, to, you know, to make it do stuff, to make a little man run across the screen. Oh. Or to, you know, I just, it, it, it hooked me totally. Um, and so computers have been part of my life for a long time, ever, you know, yeah. since then, really. Okay. Um, so when I finished college, I met Jeannie at college and we moved to Shropshire and decided to start a business. Um, we actually started our first business as a record label. But I could tell that because music was another thing that I've always been into and I yeah. made music with computers. Right. Yeah. And so we decided, OK, this Internet thing, whatever this Internet thing is. Is 1998, 1999. It's a big on the music business, so yeah. we better learn how to build websites. So okay. I taught myself how to build websites. I got a copy of .NET magazine, and it had a copy of Dreamweaver one on the front cover. Mm -hmm. And so I loaded that into my 486 PC, and I just started learning HTML. Um, Amazing. So, so did you you not go to college or anything? So you were bootstrapped to this whole thing. Oh yeah, no, I've totally. I mean, I did, I did at A level at computer science, yeah. but I just, I dropped out after about. I'm not sure when I dropped out. Actually, yeah, I think I dropped out halfway through. It was just not my language, you know. I mean, I can talk geek. Yeah, I can talk geek until the cows come home, but I need to know why I'm doing something. Yeah, and with computer science, the particular A level I was doing, they just said, "Oh yeah, do this, and this happens." And I was like. Yeah, but I need to know the context there. What's the yeah. model? When would I use this? And it was, you know, it just wasn't happening. Yeah. So yeah. I dropped out and said, this isn't for me. Um, and at that point, I thought, well, I'm obviously not going to make it as a, as a, you know, make a career in computers. So I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to produce rap and that's it. So I went off on my music career. Okay. Um, but, and so, the, yeah, that was an interesting one. And until that point, really, I decided I was going to be a systems analyst and I was going to wear a suit. I was going to be a yuppie, you know, from the, the whole 80s. Okay. Thing. And that was going to be my thing. And then I realized, oh, I'm not, I'm not cut out for computers, obviously. <laughs> and, but then this, this whole internet thing happened and the HTML and the record label was sort of growing slowly. And then we had, we organized a tour of the country. Mm -hmm. for our, our 10 artists that we'd signed to our record label. I got a distribution deal with Universal Records. We were going to, you know, we were going for it. And this journalist from Hip Hop Connection magazine came to visit to interview me about the tour. 
And as he left, he said, by the way, who did your website? Because I love it. And I need a website because <laughs> he was organizing a DJ battle event. So I was like, oh, I'll do your website. No problem. So I built him a website and he loved it. Then my dad, who uh, ran a shop and a wholesale business, said, yeah, I think I need a website for my shop. So I built him an e-commerce store. And so it went on. Everyone started asking me for websites. This is 1999. Yeah. We didn't release a record. I was full-time building websites. Okay. Jeez. Um, my wife, who's also on the program, so you'll be interviewing her as well. She, we met at art college, so she had a fine art background. So she started designing the websites, and I was building them. Okay. So wow. We, about a year, we were doing that pure HTML brochure websites, the old e-commerce thing. That's fantastic. I, I, yeah. This is why this is so incredible because I did not know that about you, and I suppose it's when did they come up in conversation? I guess and. Uh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic because, um, firstly, I think from the female entrepreneur or the female um, in business's perspective, for them to realise that actually you don't have to have gone to university or college to study this, and it is more of a, a psychological thing, and it's about having a need to apply it, and. Uh, well, I mean, I think that's spot on, Natalie. I totally agree that the, the education thing didn't work for me, but the need, I yeah. mean, a, year, a year into our business, we were building these websites and so is everyone else at that point. You yes. Know? And we were, we were struggling financially um, until we were offered the opportunity to build something that was way outside of our abilities. Okay. Uh, it was a massive uh, homeopathic portal and the client had got funding and yep. he went to six agencies, existing established agencies, with this idea. And they'd all said technically it couldn't be done. What he was asking couldn't be done. Jeannie took the phone call and said, we can do it. Oh, so, <laughs> after I, you think that was because of your kind of lack of formal education? You didn't have that, I guess, preset idea of what was possible and what wasn't. You had more of a an open mind. Why do, why do you think you were more, I guess, ballsy to, to put it that way? We, it was, it was achieve this or our business fails. Okay. It was as simple yeah. as that. And I, I lost it. I was like, do you, have you any idea what I'm going to have to learn to do this? And Jeannie just said one thing that has actually kept me going for the entire 20 years of our business. Yeah. She looked me dead in the eye and said, somebody on this planet can do this project. And they are no more intelligent than you, so why not make it be you? Yeah, yeah. And that is my and our mantra. Yeah. For so went on to Amazon and I bought ASP in twenty four hours, VB script in a week, SQL Server. I learned yeah, I learned JavaScript, ASP, SQL Server. Visual Basic as well, and I wrote a program that could read 300 textbooks of different formats written over 200 years, put that information into a database and make it searchable and cross-referenceable for homeopathic students. And I put it online and I bought a server and I installed the software and I carried that server down to Telehouse in the London Docklands, plugged it in, and the world's first online materia medica for homeopaths was born three months later. And that was the start of our business proper. Oh my gosh. 
That's incredible. <laughs> that's, inc- that's incredible and no, extremely um, impressive. And, I mean, and but I tell you that though, not to not to yeah. like be impressive. I mean, looking back, it's like wow, well, you know, I get goosebumps yeah. just remembering that. I mean, I worked, you know, I was working till four a.m. It was it was a, a proper thing, but it was. Be- yeah. I tell you that because I wasn't taught how to do any of it. Yeah. The information out there now is like twenty times more than what it was back then. I was printing off a um, an ASP site called four guys from Roller. I was printing out the information and reading it on how to code. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I need to do this now. How do I do this? And I had to Google it. Although, you know, there was hardly any information out there. This is still 19 or well, 2000, I suppose at this point. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, it gives, it gives me hope. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what sort of project I could take on now in my lunch hour. It's, Regardless of uh, that, that's that's still um, really really impressive, and and I guess quite encouraging as well for um, all of us um, women who haven't had that formal training. It literally is um, as not it's not simple, but it's certainly achievable um, with a bit of um, I guess determination, but mostly um, with a kind of core purpose there it's it's this whole thing of if that that one sentence sums it up for me yeah didn't i be the one that can do this and so so stepping forward to anything with that yeah this is possible absolutely we can can do what's that saying it's um is it if not if not you who if not now when right right absolutely same, same sort of thing. And now technology means that it can be anyone doing anything. Yes. It is all possible. If you can imagine it and you've got that grit and determination to do it, then you can, absolutely. Fantastic. So how do you think the sort of, um, what's, what's happening now in the world um, that, you know, leaders really need to be grasping and, and it's changing the way that they lead teams, that they, you know, lead businesses. What, what do you think, you know, how's, how's t- technology changing the, the world for business at the moment? I think what's happening is two things simultaneously. First of all, technology is getting to this point now where thanks, thanks to uh, Moore's law, you know, the idea that technology yeah. doubles every 18 months, the power of technology doubles every 18 months while the cost of creating those those computer chips halves which means that technology the curve is just going like this right Mm. and so the power accessible to everyone via cloud computing it is just there and and dirt cheap compared to even 10 years ago so what that means is anyone who wants to can access huge computing power at the same time What's come of age after many, many years of sitting, waiting, is artificial intelligence um, and all the robotic side of things as well. Mm. So all of a sudden, from the smallest startup through to the biggest corporations, processes that were done by hand are now being automated. And they're being automated at increasing speed and they're being automated with increasing intelligence. And that is absolutely changing the landscape now and five years from now we won't even recognize the, the business landscape properly mm. so how does that sort of play out for your your leader in a in a corporate now because 
I think that would, certainly from, from our research, there are a number of, I guess, changes to job roles. There are new ones being created, um, technology affecting whole industries. And, you know, certainly I don't like to use the word, but I guess displacing um, traditional roles and not just within manufacturing, um, but also within, you know, business services and accountancy professions, in law professions and these types of, I guess, more white collar, if you like, um, organisations. What, what should people be doing to, I guess, change the way, change the way they think and they, how can they prepare themselves, I suppose, is... is okay. So... I think the best answer to that is to point out the change in mindset that's happening as a result of this. Mm. So up until very recently, the way to grow a business is to add more people to that business. Yeah. Okay. And so what we see in business is a very linear growth. Okay. So we start here with one person, then we add an administrator and then we have maybe a salesperson and someone that to help us with delivery. And as we grow, we just, it's just a linear growth. You want yeah. more power, you want more done, you add more people. Yeah. Okay. But now, with the growth of exponential technologies and the accessibility of exponential technologies, what we're seeing is we have a choice. I need more done. I need more reach. I need more impact. Do I add another person and just level up a little bit? Or do I find out what roles I can automate or what tasks and jobs I can automate? And there's a massive difference there. What we're talking about is the difference between Old school, Kodak is a classic example of yeah. old school. They had thousands of people working for them across the world at their peak. Yeah. Um, Hilton Hotels, news corporations. We talked that's old school business models where you've got thousands of people working together on a linear growth. But now exponential technologies are replacing those companies with Kodak stepped out of the way and yeah. Instagram stepped in. Okay. Yeah. When Instagram was bought by Facebook, they had 13 employees, right? Wow. Bought by several, for several billion, you know, it's incredible. Instead of Hilton hotels, we've got Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, instead of all the news corporations, we've got Facebook, we've got social media. Okay. And the number of people working for those companies compared to the amount of impact they're having on the world, I'm talking about number of users as, yeah. well, as well as actual social impact, the ratio is dramatically different. Mm. And so you might have a company that has 50 employees turning over 500, 500 million, or you might have a company with 5,000 employees turning over 500 million. And the difference in the way that those companies work, the mindset of those two different types of companies yeah. is dramatic. And I believe that the companies that are going to survive and thrive are the companies using the exponential technologies. And if we're not using the exponential technologies, then our competitors will. And so their growth curve will go like that while we continue on the linear landscape. So from a leader's perspective, how do we, ch how do we change our mindset and our leadership style to this kind of hierarchical sort of, you know, way of managing people in processes because as our teams get I guess flatter and the skills become more dispersed within the team the role of the leadership the role of the leader is slightly different isn't it I think is it used to be that the leader held a lot of the I guess 
I don't want to say intelligence, but maybe knowledge. And it was very much, you know, I know more than you, so therefore you should um, kind of follow. And I think technology is upending that a little bit because within our teams, we're having, you know, great leaders should want people that are way smarter than them, way more knowledgeable than them. Um, But still organizations are very hierarchical. And I'm not sure whether we've made that mindset change yet um and how do those i think the successful ones are the ones who are able to kind of say right these are the kind of key things that we need to do now as a leader in this organization to empower Mm -hmm. our people Mm -hmm. and to really move forward okay yeah so i agree what what we're talking about here is a shift from the mindset of the 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 pyramid hierarchy yeah i don't want to say a flat hierarchy but here's the change so the pyramid hierarchy, you have the CEO or chairman at the top, and then we have this sort of top-tier executive management. Then we might have middle management. Then we have yeah. the people actually doing doing stuff. Yeah. And all of that work is divvied up by uh, job titles. Mm. Okay. Sales, sales director is in charge of the sales team and the marketing director is in charge of the marketing team and so on. Mm. And so you have the, um, this upwards to to the to, to the top kind of kind of hierarchy yeah now that worked in the kind of organizations that um i see it in colors because of the organizational um psychology you know we, we you come across this idea that um back in the old days we have this this tribal red um kind of hierarchy which means that we're I'm talking about street gangs and the mafia and that kind of thing, but it was old tribal where there was one chief and it was ruled by fear. Uh, But the chief could only rule about 150 people because of the the lines of communication. So these these kind of gangs are kind of small and dominated by fear and they have a certain amount of reach. But then we move into the yellow, which is um, one person at the top, but he's not ruling by fear, he's ruling by acceptance and community and the idea that if you follow these rules then you are part of this community therefore the reach is larger um i'm talking about large corporations organized religion actually Mm. as well um and and and, you know large communities countries even if you follow these rules then you're in you're in this community and therefore you survive okay then we move into orange which is companies like nike maybe uh virgin creative companies where all of a sudden instead of working for the group your the individuality is expressed we have an opportunity for creativity um but there's you're but you're still in the pyramid you're still in this hierarchy i'm skipping a few and i'm summarizing novels and novels worth of behavioral psychology so yeah please forgive those people that know about this stuff please forgive the flaws but i'm trying to give a sense of it what we're moving into now is um what's sometimes known as teal organizations um we've had the green organizations which are the co-ops okay Mm -hmm. where you flatten the hierarchy but the teal organizations are powerful the teal organizations are where we're moving into so we flatten, the hier- we flatten the hierarchy with the green organisations. Um, let me think of a good example of, of those organisations. Um, the, co- the cooperatives, where the boss suddenly the, the boss suddenly isn't in charge; they're employee owned. Okay, mm-hmm. 
we're all in this together. Okay, you've got well, yes. in the company, right? Yeah. Now, um, sorry, I tend to ramble about this because it, I see it all in my head, and yeah. I'm just trying to. Yeah, it's interesting. So the teal organisations, what they do is they split up into small groups, maybe hundreds of small groups of ten to twelve people. Yeah. Um, there's an energy company, a French energy company, that had 40,000 people, all in groups of 10 or 12. And each of these groups are self-organizing. And each of the people in this group have their own roles, not job titles, but roles. And this is the key thing. So this is a roundabout way to get getting to the answer to your question. If we get rid of the job titles, what we have is a job to be done, and we have a small group of people to do that job. So as leaders, I feel that the way forward is to recognise that our role is to recognise the roles and mm -hmm. to find the right people in our small teams yep. who are best for that role. We're talking about superpowers, okay? Yes. So what is your superpower? So let me, let me talk about my, my team here that we've got. I've got um, one, one of our developers, when I sat down with him, and really opened up what gets you out of bed in the morning. Why are you doing this job? What lights your fire? What I found was that he has a real strong need to be the breadwinner for his family and to support his family. He wants to give his children opportunities that he didn't have. As a result of that, he wants very much to have a career path and to become a lead developer. He wants, he wants that role. At the same time, he's awesome at customer support, yeah. okay? He just naturally, he can't, if he hears that there's an issue anywhere, he's yeah. on it and he wants yeah. to fix it. So immediately, what we do is we say, right, what is your career path? How are we gonna learn? How are we gonna teach you all the things you need to to do to become that lead developer. So he's got this drive. And at the same time, we make sure that if there's any issue, if his job workout issue is and finds who, who's going to fix that issue or to fix it himself. Okay, so he's doing the thing that he's best at for reasons that are deeply core to him. Okay, and we put him on a training program. We make sure that he's got access to plural site, that workshops, to books that he needs to read so that he can grow. At the same time, one of our more senior developers, when I did the same thing with him, we got really deep. We went really deep to his psychology, yeah. to, to issues uh, even that he had at school. And he found out that he deeply wants to alleviate people's suffering. Mm -hmm. And he does that by teaching people. He yeah. does that to find coders that are struggling and to help them with their code. Yeah. So suddenly we've got one person who wants to learn in my team and another person who wants to teach in my team. So yeah, all of a yeah. sudden we work together and together we all grow and all of us are working in alignment with our purpose mm. for the good of the company. Mm. Now, what their job titles are are irrelevant to that, okay? Yes. But what they do in the team, the roles they have in the team are vital because there isn't another person that works like Nick and there isn't another person that works like John. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, we're going deeply into superpowers. I've got someone who just gets databases, okay? Yeah. It'd be crazy to get him on the front end work and get him to learn JavaScript and CSS. That's just not his thing. So we get him working 
on the databases. Mm. And at the same time, we've got someone who's brilliant at the front end and mm. can't bear databases. Now, just to be clear here, their job titles are all developer. Yeah. Okay. So with the old mindset, I'd say, well, you're a developer, you do, develop, you do the development. Okay. You're a developer, you do this development. It doesn't matter what kind of development you do. Yeah. But when we look at roles, all of a sudden, we're looking at unique abilities. We're looking at yeah. individual talents. And key, we're aligning those individual talents with their inner purpose. Because mm. when you have that alignment, you have drive. You've got motivation uh, naturally in this small team that works together. That's, um, that's great. And I think um, one, of the, one of the challenges that potentially maybe these large organisations have is well exactly is it's their large organizations so you're able to have that kind of i guess one-on-one -on -one relationship with the team and, and really get to know them have you any tips on how leaders with larger teams i guess um would you well, i guess or maybe i'll rephrase it is um for me, I, I, what you've just said means that that probably is one of the most important things that a leader should be doing it with their time. And if they only actually did it, spend 80% of their time or 90% of their time really knowing their team and understanding what drives them personally and aligning the team's superpowers to the roles and the responsibilities and the tasks that need to get done. It's like forget about what you were well not forget about what you were hired for because you know you're hired for a reason but um, but to be sort of flexing as people because people grow as well so even though yeah. when we joined the company we might have been fresh out of I don't know out of some sort of internship or whatever and if we we're in law or you know come from a graduate training program and some assumptions have been made about what we're going to be doing. But as we grow and as we have, you know, different personal influences, we check our kind of superpowers change a bit. Um, so roles change. And in this, in this small team structure, um, it's, it, there's, a, there's a whole rhythm that you create as a leader. And I, I believe this is, this is yeah. our job as leaders, to do this. We, yeah. shouldn't be, we shouldn't be doing the tasks. We shouldn't be doing the delivery. Yeah. We should be, be organising this rhythm. Yeah. Okay? So you have regular retrospectives. You have daily stand-ups saying, where am I at? Um, how are things going? What am I working on? What do I need help with? And during these retrospectives, it may be that a role is passed from one person to another because now there's another person that's going to be stronger in doing that role now. With job titles, you see, they're much more fixed. But when you're in roles, the roles can yeah. change, even project by project. And so That's interesting, and that's, I guess, how technology can really help us to be more fluid as teams. Um, and we don't sit in silos anymore with this kind of technological ability. So I, I'm, I guess people listening to this might be a bit confused as to why we're talking about leadership mm. uh, as opposed to technology. But I think that the key thing is to try and dispel the fear and demystify the technology and help them to really see that technology is an enabler of better teams. It's an enabler of wider reach leadership. Um, yeah, so just, um, just, to, just to pick up on that point, because it's a really important one that, for me, the, um, what we're talking about and, and the technology, they're, they're one thing, because, let me see if I can get this out concisely. Mm. Um, 
as long as you're working in your superpower, yeah. you're doing the very best you can for yourself, for your team, for your company. Every time you're working outside of your superpower, yeah. you're not doing your best. Yeah. And so we have a choice. I guess we have three choices. Yeah. You can, one, carry on doing all these admin tasks, all these, this other stuff that isn't in our superpower but needs to be done. Two, we can find someone else in our team for whom those jobs are a superpower and make sure they do that so that we can carry on working on our superpower and manage this team. Mm. And thirdly, we can look at what technology is available to automate that task so that yeah. you don't have to do it and your team member doesn't have to do it. And suddenly yeah. you have a team member that works 24 hours a day, doesn't get sick, doesn't take holiday, doesn't yeah. complain, works efficiently and in the way that you've asked it to work every single time. Absolutely. I, yeah, so thanks for bringing us back around to that point because um, in uh, so the research that we've done at HeroWorks is, is exactly around that, is that we see really technology empowers us to do what is really humane and what we're really all naturally good at and those kind of repeatable automatable if that's a word even um tasks can be given and you know there will be a certain amount of fear i think for a little while with those who have been um really have got very efficient to a certain extent although nowhere near as efficient as a machine will ever be able to be in terms of speed and accuracy, et cetera. But they've got very efficient at doing those types of tasks. So there'll be a certain amount of fear of you know, letting go of those tasks. Like what do I what do I do? What do I do now? How how am I measured and all of those things? So I think um, there's some challenges around helping people to grow and I guess let go of the let go of the let go of the fear. Yeah. Well, well, what we're talking about really in a, in a, in a simple and absolutely non-scientific way is our brain is programmed to do whatever it takes to keep us alive. Okay. Yeah. Just think about a few hundred years ago when, you know, we didn't have the society that we had now, you know, a few thousand years ago and we had, we were living out in the, in the forest and hunting and gathering to, for our survival. So our brain knows that I'm 45 years old whatever I've been doing for the last 45 years has kept me alive. Mm. For this. And so I'm not going to do anything different right now because that, that is danger. But the thing is that what that does is it keeps us bobbing on at the same level. Yeah. And uh, mastery means pushing at that comfort zone mm. and constantly pushing just outside of our comfort zone because it's there that we learn mm. and it's there that we adapt and grow and get better. And as we stick in our superpower and push outside of our comfort zone all along, when our superpower, sometimes all of a sudden our superpowers really do become superpowers because yeah. we become awesome at those things. Mm. Um, and that's what it's all about. It's scary. It's scary. It's easy to do the things that we've always been doing because yeah. we've got good at them. Mm. But if those are things that anyone could be doing, or even more, if those are things that a computer could be doing, mm -hmm. then a computer doesn't have compassion, empathy, love, yeah. uh, and a, an ability to, to, to um, trust instinct or wisdom. Mm. Computer, does, computer does what it's told to do. 
even artificial intelligence with the learning it's following particular rules. Mm. Those things I've just described are, as just as you've said, the things that make us human. They are the things that make us come alive. Yeah. And a computer can't do those things. And so as long as we're focusing on doing the tasks that fall within those values of love and compassion, creativity, mm. and those things can't be replaced by a computer. Mm. Our role is protected. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's heartening. And um, I think, you know, if we could help female executives to start to, in, in, I guess, harness that, um, what do you think one of the, I guess, what, what do you think one of the biggest mistakes in, in the way women think about technology um, is? And, and, and how do you think that's maybe hindering them um, achieving their goals and progressing? A common thing when I speak to other entrepreneurs and leaders is I talk about automation. I talk about these systems. I talk about all these technologies that are available to, to help them in the ways that we've been talking about. And they say, oh, yeah, but I haven't got time to do that. I'm too busy with this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit like saying, um, I can't go to the gym right now. I'm too unhealthy. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the gym once I'm more fit. And so the mistake is to carry on doing these same admin tasks, these same jobs that could be automated because they need to be done. And of course they need to be done. But the sooner in your business or in your, your job role that you can say, hang on a minute, if I just spent one or two days learning how to program or automate this particular task, then for the rest of my job, I won't have to do that job. Mm. So all of a sudden, everything changes. You, yeah. you're, you're held back while you're learning to automate. Mm. But this stuff is simple, and it's never been simpler. The, the, the tools out there are, that are available, I'm not saying that you need to learn to be a programmer. There's no need. There are enough programmers, and there are enough tools already built by that Absolutely. Um, so it's about recognising Yes, it may, think, yeah. it may feel like you don't have time to look at this. But actually, if you were to just make the time, just put aside the time, yeah. the amount of time that you're free up as a reward is exponential. It's huge, huge. You've just given me a thought, actually. Having been in um, big business for a number of years, um, I think one of the biggest issues that as a leadership team we've had and even as a leader um, being responsible for, um, you know, executing a role is that big business spends a lot of money on fantastic systems. And then what happens is they're not embraced and they're not harnessed by, they do the little amounts or, you know, we, we kind of, we just don't lean into the technology that's being invested in. And actually what you've, you've just kind of highlighted there is that's obviously a real issue um, in terms of investment, return on investment for the business and for the clients who could be enjoying the efficiencies that could come with this technology. But for us, it's actually creating, um, we're, we're, I guess, creating barriers to our own efficiencies and progress by not harnessing. So some of this, this stuff is around, like you say, being open, open-minded to, and really leaning into it, and, and really seeing it as, as our, 
our extra team members and you know it's like mm-hmm. really um getting getting under the skin of any new technology that is rolled out by the business and you know not being that of that mindset which is like oh I'll just do the bits that I need to do it's well, really kind of just embrace it and get into it and uh, definitely well you're, you're fighting two two levels of psychology here yeah. first of all there's I know there's going to be a learning curve yeah. As soon as you're in a learning curve, then you're pushing in out of that mm-hmm. comfort zone, right? And you're pushing into the mastery space, but it's an uncomfortable space. And we're certainly in our, our society now, we're we're almost trained to stay in comfort. Yeah, we don't like uncomfortable. We've got a bad relationship with uncomfortable. So we've got that we've got that whole uh, learning curve, and then also there's the natural resistance that comes from anything that is going to grow us or better us as a person. And that's back to that same tribal mind. Hang on. If I grow as a person, our old monkey brain says, if I grow as a person, then my life will be different. And different is scary. Different Mm. might kill me. Mm. And so we've got this ancient psychology that's working against us. Yeah. Yeah. But once we're aware of that, then actually it's easier to dive in. So I guess, yeah, so those are the consequences of that mistake. We could be actually... um, instead of having more time and more um, freedom and flexibility, which is what we want um, as women in particular, if we are, you know, mid-career and we're trying to juggle family and, uh, and job and all of those things, is actually leaning into technology can free us and give us way more flexibility. So you haven't got that need to be present in the office. You can manage your team remotely. You can be there for your customers and pick your kids up from school and, or um, if you are, you know, wanting to study something different or, you know, it can build in flexibility and more time into your Mm. life. Absolutely. I I remember way back at the start, um, the project, the the homeopathic project that I talked Mm -hmm. to you about at the beginning of this conversation, Um, you know, I had these 300 textbooks that I had to get in and the, the obvious sensible way of doing it was simply copying and pasting each section of these textbooks in, but I didn't have time to do that. So I wrote a program that would do that for me mm-hmm. and I let it run and I went off to visit a friend. And I remember my friend still, because I, I hadn't realized what I was doing. I was just mm-hmm. doing, it. he went, I can't, I can't believe that you've just programmed a computer to do your work for you. So you can come and visit me. Yeah. You know? He was like, your computer's doing your job. So yeah. you want to do that job. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. That is totally what. what That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> That's cool. And I, I don't think we're going to get a whole bunch of. Um, we don't need people to be programmers. Actually, we don't need lots and lots of programs. But we do need women to, um, I guess, specify and really understand the technology is that's I guess being rolled out within their businesses, but also. Um, that is potentially affecting the way that they, their customers are doing business. We need them to be involved in that whole kind of process um, from design to delivery to use to, you know, re-specifying and just get involved into that whole cycle. But what can we, what can we do to help them to lean into that? Mm. more I think I think a key mindset shift is um, this idea of marginal gains we don't have to all of a sudden 
stop everything we're doing yeah. and sit with a computer for a year and program it all. Yeah, that's that's not realistic. That's and that's you know, something that not many people would want to do anyway. We don't have to do that. What we can do is simply uh, this is something that we ask our clients to do before we, we before we start a, um, a digital transformation project with them. We ask them for the next two weeks to sit with a notepad by their desk and whenever they do a job to write that down. So they describe the job in a sentence, how long they spent on it, and from naught to 10, with naught being drained and 10 being energized, how do they feel at the end of doing that job? Okay, and if you do that for two weeks, you get a real sense of what tasks are draining you and what tasks are making you feel alive. Start there. Start with those draining tasks that you spend the most time on. And then think, well, okay, how, just, just a small thing. How could I ease that just a little bit? And so yeah. it may be that whenever you uh, book a meeting with a client, yeah. it may be that when you book a meeting, you need to send them directions uh, to, get to, to get to your office. You need to send them a welcome email, maybe a couple of links to some documents you want them to read. Yeah. And when the meeting's finished, you need to send them a thank you email. If you're on B1G1, you want to send them a gift certificate mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. A gratitude certificate too. So you could just automate that. Use something like Infusionsoft or ActiveCampaign or, you know, there are many tools out there to simply say uh, Process Street is another good one. I've got a meeting with this person. You can type in their name. You can type in their email address. And all of a sudden that process will automatically send them all the documents they want. Send them a follow-up to check they got the document. Send them a thank you at the end of the meeting. And you haven't had to do it. And when you've set it up once and it works for every client. And those marginal And if you're in a large organization, you're going to have some technology that is prescribed to you. And I guess part of the challenge is that it is prescribed to you and you can't just go off piece and mm. use something like, you know, some of these automation tools we're talking about. But most big companies will have something within their infrastructure that means that they can automate these tasks. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's not like it was 10 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. the vast majority of big companies are recognizing that, you know, even, you know, Infusion Software is, is a good example because it's very popular with corporations. And I heard it, um, Daniel Priestley called it Confusion Soft the other yeah. day. I thought that was fantastic. So there is a learning curve. But if that's, if that's what your company is giving you to work with, have a look, explore it, see the possibility of time out, really work out what it can do for you. And then see, you know, you don't have to change your culture to match the system. But you can see how that system can work to, to help you with, with, with the culture of the work that you're doing at the moment. Yeah, and just think, you just saying that has made me think as well that, um, that there's still room for kind of the way that you work even within big systems obviously you, you have to follow the follow the the lines in terms of you know how you input things and how you protect data and all of all of the you know all of the systems and regulatory um rules around how you use it but actually you can you still have flexibility in terms of how you want to organize your day by using these systems how you want to organize your team and actually you can create a really strong case for whether it be working from home or whatever if you can prove to your employees that you understand the systems and this is how you're going to make sure that the jobs 
gets done and gets done to the right standard and that, you know, all of the KPIs are, are met. Mm. So it really is your friend rather than your foe. Um, I do recognise that in, in um, some large companies, you, you know, there are some quite, quite incredible restrictions on the kind of technology you can use. I mean, in, incredible, you know, for me, looking looking outwards, I understand yeah. there's security. There's all there's all this kind of thing that they have to take into consideration. Um, but I do feel that if you can just change your mindset to, I'm not just going to do it the way it's always been done. But let's see where the flexibility is. Yeah. Then you know that's something that could can really be embraced. There there, there has to be some wheel room, wiggle room somewhere to make. Yeah. No, I think. That- I think there is. I think we probably get to the, the first stage of the, and, and think, oh, this is a really clunky system. It's just a pain. And then you end up getting a spreadsheet out and doing and creating your workarounds. Mm. Or actually, if you just spend a bit of time and there are some very ancient technologies and big businesses, particularly with, um, I guess, some of the banks as well, where you've got legacy systems and they can't just get rid of them all. Um because you know you've got all of that embodied you know the data and all of that stuff in there and it's 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 just too too big to just to change overnight mm-hmm. um but you can certainly um you can certainly lean into these technologies and have, it is all around mindset so do you think um do you think that we sort of that's sort of number one mistake i guess in thinking what do we do that's kind of um helping us to i guess well, creating more failure points when using or approaching or specifying technology. What do we do that we, we could be doing better? I think we've probably touched on it quite a bit already, but I think the main thing that we do, mm. and I'm, I am absolutely guilty of this, so I'm, this, this is definitely not pointing outwards, mm. <laughs> um, but we try and do it all ourselves. Okay. Um, and that can hold us back for years when it comes to progression and evolution. Um, And so if we can recognize the things we've talked about, about our team's superpowers, about what, what technology can do to help us. um, We tend to think, okay, this is my job. And so I'm going to do all of this. But what we find is that 80% of the work we do isn't actually our core job. Um, And the people that I know that have actually manage to remove that 80% and spend their 80% of time on the 20% that is their core job, that Mm. is their main thing they need to get done, all of a sudden massive achievements uh, appear. Yeah. Yeah. And have you you got any stories that you can share with us where I guess technology has kind of really made a huge change in in people's lives or changed something that, you know, I guess has been being done a certain way for a while and and has really changed for the back be- for the better mm. yeah i can i can actually i'm going to answer your question slightly differently to how you've asked it okay in that i can there's a there's a, a, a client of ours called arts alive who are a rural touring company so what they do is they they go to remote places where there are tiny village communities and they bring to them the most contemporary cultural events. So they might bring them opera, or they might bring a, a stage show, or a comedian singing, amazing singing, touring the world. And they 
to these tiny village halls. Uh, the same company also show movies. So the latest blockbuster movies with the you know incredible high definition projection equipment in these tiny village halls all over the West Midlands. Mm. Um, 50,000 people have seen events by Arts Alive. So they've showed, hang on, I've got, I've got some numbers. Let me show you because I'm going to get the numbers wrong. I don't. This year they've showed 962 films in these tiny rural communities, 47 live satellite screenings from operas happening in New York or in London, uh, and 104 live performances. Now, Arts Alive are two full-time people and three part-time people. Oh, wow. The, the key differentiator that makes things, this, things, this happen is technology. We've worked with them since they started. We built their first website. In fact, I think it was the third website I ever built. <laughs> yeah, wow. And we've worked with them. Whenever there's something that needs to happen, we've mm. moved it online. And so technicians and promoters and venues can all coordinate this work together online using this database. And so the number of people that they need to actually run. It's all about the curation. It's all about, so what shows shall we bring? What films should we show? You know, and everything else, everything that can be done. And actually we're about to start a new phase, which is going to multiply that even more. Yeah. Um, but everything that could, can be done as we've gone along, we've moved it online. Yeah. And so I, I tell you this just to show the massive impact you can have if you bring technology into your organization and have it as the core of your organization. Mm. Um, two full-time people and three part-time yeah, that's people. Incre that's incredible. That's, that's incredible. So it really can. And we think about it from, from our, uh, with our corporate heads on, we are looking at increased scale, increased um, revenue reach, um, mm. creativity and innovation and being able to, I guess, um, bring our bring value to our clients and our stakeholders at scale without increasing huge infrastructure and um, really just being very creative. Um, We're talking about in massively increased reach, engagement, impact. You know, yeah. what we do has a bigger impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in terms of impact, um, how can you say, how could you, how can you, um, how can you see technology helping to further things like the UN Global Goals and just bring more purpose into the workplace? So when I feel like it works out outwards, yeah. so we start with our own purpose. What is our purpose? What is... Um, what is the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning? Mm. When we look at all our different career paths, all the different things we've done in our lives, when we look at those things, what, what's, what's the common thread in all those career paths? Yeah. What's the common thing that we loved about those things? When we look at those, um, so for me, for example, I, I look at well, the computers and the computers with music and the performance and public speaking and writing and doing this kind of thing. What, what's the common thread in that? Because it's not obvious straight away. And I really spent some time looking at this and I realized that what I love is seeing how stuff works. Yeah. I like to see models and systems. And when someone describes one to me, I think I mentioned it earlier, I kind of see it in my head visually first. 
And I love finding ways to explain those things to other people to help them so that they can grow and be better people and they can make the most of, of, of what they have. And when I realized that, all of a sudden I was like, hey, that's my purpose. That's, yeah. that's why I do what I do. That's what I love about what I do. Mm. When you have your purpose, you can then apply it to so many other things that you wouldn't have, have previously thought. Yeah. When we apply it to our business and we realize what our unique individual talents are, what our unique abilities, as Dan Sullivan says, are, we can say, what, are, what unique abilities can I stay within? Yeah. How can I stay in my superpower to serve my purpose? Yeah. And so we're aligning purpose with our individual talents. And all of a sudden, we're not Clark Kent anymore, we're Superman. Yeah. Right? We've changed on our team. Here then is to do the same process with our team. Yeah. So all of a sudden you've got a team of supermen instead of Clark Kent's. Mm. And all of a sudden you have a, well, it's not all of a sudden, this is a gradual process. You can't just do this overnight. This is a cultural shift. Yeah. A cultural shift that's constantly self-reflecting and constantly saying, am I working in my superpower? Mm. Am I working? Am I serving my own purpose? And what's my company's purpose? Am I serving the company's purpose? How can all of these superpowers work to yeah. serve the company's purpose? Mm-hmm. Then it moves outwards further because the company's purpose, we align with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah. We say, how can this purpose serve the UN goals? So for us, I'll, I'll use it's the, it's the easiest um it's, it's, it's the easiest thing to reference. So we realise that our company's purpose is to bring meaning to the workplace and to free people up from these mundane, repeatable, logical tasks yeah. to work within their superpower so that those companies can have massive impact. Okay, yeah. so it's a little bit meta, our purpose, but that's why yeah. we do <laughs> <laughs> no, it. But, it, but no, it, it answers the question perfectly, actually. And... Um, and it does, it leans really nicely back to, I guess, what, what, what um, I've uncovered in the research that we've done, which is, is that technology does really free us to be more humane and to spend our time focusing on real world problems. And as a part of that, we're creating kind of just sustainable economic and social growth. And we're doing that, starting with, you know, our employed position. Um, technology then helps us to, I guess, not only align our our own purpose with what we're doing in our jobs, but it can also free us up to create more value in our social lives as well and, you know, be involved in social projects and other projects and so that we can kind of create this kind of exponential value, not only within our jobs and helping our clients but mm. also as, as individuals as well. So, Yeah, everything shifts because when yeah. you're not working for profit first and you're yeah. working for purpose first yeah. um, and you're aware of what your purpose and your company's purpose is, then all of a sudden all of these possibilities suddenly start flowing. So all of a sudden we went from saying we're a software company to, hey, we could be uh, working on accelerators. Right? Yeah. We can, we're we're uh, beginning our own... Um, business incubator so that we can help other businesses right there in our building 
um, to, to, to reach their purpose and work within their superpowers and to really massively multiply their impact. That's not software at all. You know, they yeah. might not use software initially, you know, um, but all of a sudden all these possibilities open to us and we can make a much bigger impact in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's an enabler. How do we use our superpowers to sort of open up, you know, this, um, this creative flow and uh, help, help to solve more problems in the world. Mm. Is there anything else I haven't asked you, Paul, that uh, you'd like to share with sort of, you know, female execs or entrepreneurs? I think we've we've covered quite a bit, and it, it seems yeah. to come down to one big thing. So maybe I'll just use the opportunity to underline that thing. Yeah. It's all possible. Mm. Um, technology isn't a barrier, but an enabler, as you just so eloquently put, yeah. and. We don't have to be spending our days mm. bored doing dull stuff. Yes. Getting, trying to get the dull stuff out of the way so that we can get onto the stuff we really enjoy. Mm. We don't have to spend our days doing that because I know, because, you know, I find myself there often when I get caught up in, okay, I'll just get this done out of the way so that I can get onto this thing. Mm. It rarely happens. It's next week, next week, next week. Yeah. But when we take the time, to go, okay, for a start, am I the best person to be doing this? Mm. Secondly, is there someone else in the team that could be doing this? Yeah. Or thirdly, hey, does anyone need to be doing this at all? Could, yeah. I, could I delegate this to an automation system? Mm. Yeah. And do this over and over. This, this is possibility, not barrier. And this is a possibility for massive growth, massive achievement, and massive contentment and satisfaction, and actually to bring meaning into our lives. Yeah. Paul, that's been fantastic. And I think um, on that note, I'd just like to thank you for this really inspiring interview. And uh, I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing you help these women um, to really kind of unleash their social and economic power through, the, through harnessing technology and to kind of, you know, reshaping and remodeling their business lives to fit with their personal lives, and I think this is this is one of the biggest one of the biggest gifts that this program is is going to offer is that how they can sort of stop thinking of technology as a as a you know something scary or something that mm. they have to have to you know that there's going to be forced on them that actually um, that they sort of change their mindset and they're really embracing it and uh, and using it to, to to do great work and really unleash all of that economic power that's kind of, you know, untapped sitting there. Um, just finally, is there anywhere we can find more about you and, and will you, um, you know, put some links and, um, you know, resources, etc. anything that you think might be helpful for, um, for our cohorts and, uh, you know, and where, if anybody wants to reach out to you personally as mm -hmm. well. So um, paulmcgillivray.com is my, my personal website. So you can see articles by me on all this kind of stuff. Um, you can see links to all my other social media. So I, I'm where everyone is. So, you know, Facebook, Twitter, you just, just search my name. There aren't that many Paul McGilvery's. Um, also, uh, the company website is remote.online. So you can see the kind of work that we've done there as well. So you can get in touch via, via there as well. Great. 
right? And you forgot yeah. to mention your TED Talk. <laughs> and of course, yes, I yeah. did do a, a TED Talk. You were, you were there in the audience, which was wonderful. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, so I did a TED Talk entitled Bringing Purpose to Work for Global Impact. So if you search my name, you'll see, you'll see in YouTube, um, it's, one, it's one of the high-ranking results. So yeah, do, do watch 15 minutes of talking about exactly what the, the kind of thing we've just been talking about. So yeah. Absolutely. And please leave us some feedback on it as well. We'd like to hear, hear what you've thought. Um, oh, and all of this, actually, everything that we've just been yeah. talking about, I'd, I'd love to, you know, tweet me, email me, you know, wherever your favourite thing is, you know, we'd all love to hear what you think about this um, and, you know, what you, what you think of this, the, the Hero Works program that we're going to be involved in. I can't wait to get started. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, we hope you all have a fabulous day and uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you found that conversation interesting. I hope there were some insights in there for you. We talked about the technology. We talked about how we can use technology, specifically exponential technology, automation, artificial intelligence, to really enable us to work within our superpower and what happens when we do that. And my experience is that extraordinary things really happen when we put purpose first and we use technology to really give us those superpowers and make a real mark in the world. That was the first episode of Purpose First. And my next episode will be an interview with Mark LaRousse from The Unconventionalists. Tune in and check out that episode really soon. All the best.